The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Glad to see you all here today. Uh, we are going to use version again today, but if you have your Bible, uh, you can follow along in that as well. Our main text today is going to be 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, which we're going to get to in a couple minutes. If we haven't met, I'm John, and I'm one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church. And every year, we do something to celebrate those who serve our body and serve Christ selflessly, and we call it the Westies. And usually, we have our Westies celebration when we have our Thanksgiving meal in November. And if you remember, back in November, we didn't have our Thanksgiving meal together. COVID cases were on the rise, so we decided to not host uh, that Thanksgiving meal. But this month, at the end of the month, on the 30th of January, we're going to have a brief uh, congregational meeting immediately following our 1015. We want to talk about last year, talk about some things for this year, and we're going to give out our Westies Awards. And what I would encourage you to do right out in the lobby before you leave today, grab one of these slips and nominate someone. Nominate someone who has served selflessly. Um, put that in the box. And then over the next few weeks, our staff goes through that and we pick five people and then we will uh, we'll nominate them. There's also a way to do this online. And that will be, if you get our weekly email, that link will be in our weekly email that comes out on Wednesday. So uh, we've already had um, about seven nominations just through our online piece. So we're excited about that. Um, This is just a great way to recognize what people do in our church. Because one of the things that we believe is appreciation matters. Um, I don't know, I don't know about you, but there's, but when I, when I used to come to church before I was in ministry, I would come into the building and like all of these things would just sort of happen, right? And I never really thought that there were actually people that were doing those things. I just walked into the building and everything was sort of was sort of done. And I had a a similar experience to that actually a few weeks ago. We had people who decorated for Christmas at the end of November. And then I came into the auditorium, I think it was it was even before last Sunday, and the Christmas trees had been taken down. And my first thought was, oh, somebody did that. Like none those trees don't magically appear and they don't magically disappear. So we have a lot of people that serve in lots of ways here and we want to We want to take time and show our appreciation. Uh, This month, we have been talking about just a real brief series called We Are. Every January, we spend our month talking about who we are as a church body and why that matters as we go into the new year. Last week, we talked about the value of community. We are a united community. And the context of that was around communion, why communion matters so much. And today we're going to talk about the reality and the fact that we are a giving community and what that looks like. And as I've spent some time thinking and praying about uh, this particular message, I was led to 2 Corinthians um, chapters 8 and 9 because they talk a lot about giving. And one of the things that, that I would love for you uh, to grasp as someone who is following Christ, I would love for you to grasp the idea that scripture is sufficient. I think a lot of us know or believe that scripture's true, right? If I were to say, is scripture true? 
mo- thank you. One of, most of us, if not all of us, would say, yes, we believe the Bible is true. But there's an additional question that we have to ask, and that is, is, is Scripture sufficient? And here's what I mean by sufficient. Is Scripture enough? Is it enough? So when I read Scripture, it's not just a matter of truth. It's a matter of sufficiency. So when it tells me to do something, is that enough? Do I have to, or do I have to like read all of these other sources to determine if what scripture is telling me is the thing I ought to do? Does that make sense? So for instance, when we read in, the, in Exodus and we, and we see that one of the 10 commandments is do not murder, like that's one verse and we probably shouldn't have to find 50 million other supporting verses for the fact that we should not murder someone. Well, scripture functions like that throughout the entire text. And that's what we're gonna talk about a little bit today of the sufficiency of scripture. So before we go to 2 Corinthians 8, I wanna share with you 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse four. Last week, we talked about this letter that Paul had written to the church in Corinth. And he was on them about their disunity and their disharmony. So here in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, Paul writes this about many people think first. uh, So I can just nerd out on you right now. So actually there are three letters to the church at Corinth. Okay, we have two of them. We call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We're gonna talk more about that in a few weeks when we talk about how the Bible works. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 2, 4. I wrote that letter... So remember, remember when Paul said about this thing, I cannot please you. Do you remember that from last week? How unhappy Paul was? I wrote that letter in great anguish with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. So one of the things I want you to see from from this text, from what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth is, you know what? I wrote you a pretty harsh letter not because I wanted to grieve you, but because I love you. Parents, does that make sense? Have you ever had to say or do things to your kids that you didn't wanna do because it seemed really harsh, but you did it because you love them, because you cared for them? That's what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians 2, 4. Well, then if we were to flip ahead a few chapters to 2 Corinthians 7, Paul's gonna expound upon that a little bit. And he says this, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Parents, you can relate to that, right? Have you ever said to your kids, this is gonna hurt me more than it's gonna hurt you? That's what Paul's saying here. I wrote you this really harsh, this really heavy letter And I'm not sorry for it, although it hurt to send. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you are not harmed by us in any way. You see what Paul's saying here? The harshness of my letter caused you pain, but it led to change. 
It had the desired effect. If we keep reading, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, this is how we typically talk about the kind of sorrow as Christians. There's, there's godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, and there's worldly sorrow, which means I'm sorry I got caught. Again, parents, have your kids ever expressed sorrow just because they got caught? They really weren't sorry. They were sorry you caught them in what they were doing. And what Paul is saying in the, in the church, to the church at Corinth here, when it comes to sorrow, when it comes to us and how we deal with our sin, what God desires for us is godly sorrow that actually leads to life change. And this is a hard thing for us to figure out because a lot of us feel bad for our sin, but we don't actually do anything about it. See, that's worldly sorrow. And what God wants is godly sorrow. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you, such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You show that you've done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We've been greatly encouraged by this. So Paul has written this first letter that whether it's 1 Corinthians or a letter we don't have, Paul's written this letter to the church so that they would repent of their sin because they were filled with disunity and they were filled with disharmony and he wasn't happy about what he was writing to them, but he wanted them to repent. And here's the thing, it worked. When we, when we confront our sin, when we lovingly confront the sin of other people, repentance works. God takes action. Let's take a look at our main text for today. This is 2 Corinthians 8. So now Paul's gonna get into talking about giving. Now that you've repented of your sin, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But also they are filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Here's the thing that I want you to see, and Paul, I think, wants us to see about the church in Macedonia. They're not overwhelmed by their circumstances. Do you see that here? They're facing all sorts of challenges, all sorts of difficulties, but they're not victims of their circumstance. How does that work in, in 2020 and 2021? Don't we see a lot of people who are victims of their circumstances? Who are completely driven by their circumstances? This bad thing happened to me. That bad thing happened to me. This bad thing always happens to me. And we see people who are paralyzed by their circumstances. And one of the things that 
Paul wants us to see here is these are people who are not paralyzed by their circumstance. Their circumstance does not affect the way that they give. It doesn't affect their joy. See, they were so joyous in the midst of these hardships and realities. And that's how we talk about that here at West Wright Christian Church. They were so, they were so overwhelmed with joy that what came out of that when they were pressed, what came out was generosity. Is that true in your life? When you are pressed by the world, when you are pressed in hardship, what comes out? I mean, I only have to look on Facebook, right? We only have to look on social media to see what happens when we are pressed. And what happened when the church at Corinth was pressed was they were generous. It overflowed in rich generosity. Well, what does that look like? For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. So they were pressed, they gave. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to. See, when they were pressed, their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. That was the first thing they did. And I wonder for some of us, as we, as we struggle with giving, as we struggle with generosity, the reason we struggle, and I'm gonna say this lovingly, I'm not saying this because I want to harm you. I'm saying this because I love you. I think that one of the reasons why Christians are not generous is because we've not given ourselves first to the Lord. We think that the first thing we have to do is give financially. We think that if we give financially, that's some sort of backdoor way into God's kingdom. But what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth is, the reason they were so generous was because they gave themselves to the Lord. I'm sure if I were to ask, all of us would want to be more generous. Have you given yourself first to the Lord? Because if you haven't, you're not gonna be generous in the way that these people were generous. So we've urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you also to excel in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this. Notice what Paul's saying here. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. I wonder if, how we compare to the generosity of other churches. How do you compare to the generosity of other churches? It's not about quantity. 
It's about eagerness. It's about eagerness to give. Then he continues, he says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So as we think about our level of generosity, and this, like, this isn't a giving drive, okay? I'm not, I'm not asking you to pledge anything today. This is about generosity. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. I wanna talk about this for a second. See, the church at Corinth were really excited about being generous. They were excited to give. And then what happened was they fell into this disunity and this disharmony. And then they were distracted from their mission. They were distracted from their purpose, which is why every year in January, we're gonna talk about who we are as a church. Because we'll be distracted. And that's what's happening at the church in Corinth. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over and those who gathered only a little had enough. You know, I think of the scene in Mark with the woman when they're at the temple and Jesus and his disciples are watching all of the people bring their gifts, bring their offering to the temple. And they're watching all of the wealthy people give and then they see the widow, the older woman come up and she just puts in two copper coins. And if you're familiar with that story, Jesus says, did you see that woman? She gave more than they did because they gave out of their wealth and she gave out of her lack of wealth. She gave everything she had. So one of the questions that we have to think about as we think about generosity, as we think about being a giving church is are you giving according to the way that you have been, have you received finances from God? It's not about quantity. It's about generosity. It's in accordance with what you have. Let's take a look at chapter nine from 2 Corinthians. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help and have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. So here's what Paul's saying. He's, he's telling the churches in Macedonia that the Corinthian church are great givers and money's on the way. So he's boasting about this. And we sort of do this with our missionaries. One of the things that we do here at Westway Christian Church is called Faith Promise. That's how we support the missions that Westway 
has under, like under Westway as an organization is through Faith Promise. So when you give to Faith Promise, we send that money to our missionaries. So our missionaries are operating with the understanding that we are going to send them financial support. Because we tell them that. But I'm sending these brothers to make sure you're really ready as I've been telling them and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I told them. Could you imagine if we promised our missionaries that we were gonna send them money and then we didn't? Do you think our missionaries are just waiting to take action until they see money in the bank account or are they probably taking action? They're taking action. Do you know why? Because they're counting on us to financially support and to pray for our missionaries and pray for the work that we're doing. And we've done that here at Westway. Like our, our ministry here is, functions the exact same way. Last year, like isn't it wonderful to say 2020 like last year? Like isn't that just the greatest feeling in the world? Last year, when we went into shutdown, like for those of you that were here prior to March 22nd of 2020, we weren't live streaming. We didn't have video of, of whoever was speaking on the screen. Like there were lots of things that we did not have prior to March 22nd of 2020. And when we went into shutdown, we, what we didn't do was say, oh man, I sure hope people give because we don't know what we're gonna, like we're not gonna do anything until we start receiving. No, we, we acted, right? We took steps in faith. We were obedient to what we felt like God was calling us to do at that time. And you, because we are a giving community, like you gave. You participated in that action. Keep reading this verse five. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift he promised is ready, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now this kind of sounds like prosperity gospel. And for those of you who, who, who maybe have had a prosperity gospel experience and you've rejected that, there might be a little yellow flag waving in the back of your head. Hold on a second. You must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or, or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have what you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will maybe be remembered forever. For God's the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Notice it doesn't say produce a great harvest of generosity in your bank account. Does it? No, it will produce a great harvest of generosity. You'll be enriched in every way so you can always be generous. 
And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. I want you to listen to the rest of this chapter very carefully. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Your generosity proves your obedience. Your generosity proves your obedience and then they will pray for you. Those are the rewards. Have you ever thought about your giving in that way? That the rewards of your generosity are benefits for someone else? Here's what Paul is telling the church at Corinth. You're going to give generously because God has acted in your life. You're going to be obedient for that. And church at Corinth, you are literally going to get nothing in return except for the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. That's what's going to be the result of your giving. So if your prosperity gospel flag was waving in the background, this is so anti-prosperity gospel. For your giving, and I know, like, now you really wanna give, right? Because what I'm saying is you're going to get absolutely nothing in return. Well, that's the gospel. We don't, we don't give to get. We give because God has called us to be generous. And I wonder if we can find satisfaction in the fact that other people's needs are met. Can we find satisfaction that other people are going to praise God? Can that be enough for you in your giving? Can that be enough for you? Or do you need something in return? And I would say, again, like just because I love you, if you're giving because you need something in return, you have a really lousy understanding of the way God works. You don't understand the gospel because the gospel is about serving. It's about giving. It's about loving. It's about proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. And we don't give to get what I would love for you to take away from, from this message today is the satisfaction that that's enough for you to give. That someone else is going to be blessed, that someone else is going to praise God. Because that's what happens when we give and we support the mission of Westway Christian Church when we give to our general fund and our building fund and faith promise to our missionaries. Is God is proclaimed and God is praised because of our giving because of our generosity, because of the way that God is working through us. And I would love for you to know that that's enough. That you would not give out of compulsion, but you would give out of a cheerful heart because God is at work. One of the things that we're gonna do, I'm gonna invite John 3 back up. Um, John is getting ready to go to um, serve at the University of um, Nebraska in Kearney with Christian Student Fellowship. And we're gonna take a few minutes. I'm gonna ask him a few questions. He is a, he's a mission that we are supporting as a church. 
So we are operating as a church like that we're just gonna support him. And you may want to support him as well. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that. So I have a few questions that we're gonna ask um, and have a little conversation about. So, so this is John. He is our youngest. Um, so he's John three and I am John Jr. So if you have ever called him John Jr., he's not John Jr. He's John three, I'm John Jr. So John, why don't you, why don't you take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself? So as I said in the intro, I graduated from Summit Christian College in May. Uh, so I graduated in the middle of the 2020 situation. And uh, because of that, I was not ready to go onto the mission field right away, especially doing what I wanted to do. Um, I've known I wanted to work with missions for probably the last two and a half to three years. And over the last few years, I've been to uh, Central America, El Salvador, and I've been to the Middle East. Um, and I hope to accomplish cross-cultural ministry no matter where I am, wherever God takes me for the rest of my life. So starting next week, that's going to take me to uh, Kearney, Nebraska, where I'm going to be working with international students with Christian Student Fellowship. So for those of us that don't know, what is, um, what's Christian Student Fellowship and how did, you, how did you get involved with them? So Christian Student Fellowship is a campus ministry mostly centered in Nebraska. Uh, mostly their ministry is with domestic students um, or maybe targeted towards domestic students. However, uh, their campus in Kearney and one of their other campuses has ministry specifically designed to reach out to international students. So a while back, uh, their international student ministry took a drive through Scotts Bluff and many of their students stayed in some of your homes. We had some students in our home from uh, South Korea and Japan and China. And so I went out and hung out with these students while they were in Scotts Bluff. And I met Jane, who's the campus ministry director there, the international student ministry director. So last year, I spent two weeks serving under Jane. And during those two weeks, I got to know her students and I got to see that this type of ministry was something that I could do. And I absolutely loved it. So why is there, why are there two different ministries? Why is there a, a, a ministry that's focused on like um, American national students and international students? Why, why two different ministries? So the simplest way to answer this question is that international students have different needs from domestic students and different challenges that they face in their day-to-day -day lives. So many of these students, for example, can't legally drive in the United States. So because they can't legally drive in the U.S. and they still need to get groceries, uh, the campus ministry that CSF does will have a shuttle that goes back and forth to grocery stores. So once a week, these students can go to the grocery store and get their groceries. The largest challenge they face is the English language. So for non-native English speakers, English is the hardest language to learn in the world. Uh, so this ministry is intentionally set up to teach English while we read the Bible, while we study the Bible, so that we can reach them with the gospel. The, as we know, the number one priority of Christians is to bring the gospel to all nations. And uh, in this ministry, every person, every international student on that campus comes from a country that likely will not have as strong of a gospel presence as the United States. Some of these students are from Japan, which is one of the darkest nations in the world with the gospel. Some of them come from countries like China or countries in the Middle East where the gospel is illegal and restricted. 
So our evangelism to the, our evangelism to them while they are here can be the most effective evangelism that they might ever see. Now, I want to be clear that uh, neither of these ministries are exclusive. So CSF has a ministry to domestic students that is welcoming to international students, and the domestic students are intrinsic to the international student ministry. It just couldn't function without the help of American students. Finally, I'd like to talk about uh, some of the barriers that we face when we do overseas ministry. As I've already mentioned, uh, English is very difficult for other speakers to learn. So when we go there, we learn their language. Uh, Also, we have to deal with their national governments, which either won't allow Christians to enter if they are proclaiming the gospel, uh, or Christians may get, um, I just completely lost the word, when somebody's kicked out of a country, deported, thank you. People, Christians might get deported when they are in a country if they preach the gospel openly. Also, these students will have family and peer and cultural pressure to not even enter a church, where if you just invited them to come to your church with you, uh, they might not because of how their family might respond. Finally, we're counting on them to be the hospitable ones. However, when these students are here, they're learning English and they want to learn English and they want to learn English from Christians who will teach them English with the gospel. They're not under their own government anymore. Now they're under our government, which is much more free with religion. And although we still have to be cautious with uh, displaying pictures of them and they might not say over the phone to family at home that they're in a Christian ministry, they're still far under far less restrictions than they are in their home country. Also, that cultural pressure is lessened because their family's not around them all the time. Uh, and they're counting on us to be hospitable. So if we reach out to them, if we invite them into our homes, we can do a great deal of ministry from there. Uh, what specifically are you going to be doing um, in Kearney with, with these students? What does that look like? So my number one job with these students is going to be to build relationships with them. Uh, As I've heard you say over and over again, and something that Westway believes is that the 1015 is not the most important thing that we do. So I have weekly meetings that I'm going to be going to, a Sunday night one for international students and a, I believe, Wednesday night one for domestic students. But that's probably going to be one of the least important parts of my job while I'm there. Most, the most important part of what I'll be doing will be twofold. Uh, The first part of that is getting to know domestic students, becoming their friends, training them on how to reach out to their international student friends and non-Christian friends on the campus, people that they're hanging out with day in and day out. It's just a missions fact that I cannot reach college students. I, I cannot reach international students as well as other college students on the campus can. Secondly, I'll be working directly with international students. I'll be uh, just becoming their friends and trying to share the gospel any chance that I get. So one example of this was when I was in Kearney uh, last year. I had the opportunity to go to the home of some uh, Omani students, uh, some students from the Middle East who were Muslim. And I got to, honestly, the bulk of the ministry there was playing a video game and we watched a soccer game and hung out and we shared a meal together. And just through just being around them, I got to have conversations about the gospel with them. And I got to pray with one while I was there. So this type of ministry consists largely of just inviting people into my life and joining them in their lives. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your, about your needs? Sure. Uh, first is I need all of you to be praying for me. 
Uh, I wholeheartedly believe that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you to pray for things that I'm not thinking of and that I'm not praying for. However, I will tell you where to get started with what I'm praying for. First, I'm praying that God would prepare the heart and minds of the people that I'm going to be reaching out to uh, so that they will be open to the gospel, so that they will be willing to hear it and that God can begin working in them now ahead of time. Second, I am praying that God will prepare my heart and mind for the difficult ministry that I'm about to be taking part in. This is going to be my first time doing full-time ministry as my career. Uh, In the past, it's always been as internships and those types of things. And also that I can learn and grow and think of creative ways to reach out with the gospel to these students. Third, that I can learn to trust in and rely on God in everything. Uh, That has been my biggest goal going into this next year is to learn to be more reliant on God because it's something I've struggled with in the past. It's something that I've had a hard time doing. So to be fully reliant on God to take care of me. Um, And then finally, that I can become fully funded as soon as possible. Um, So fundraising, my goal is $24,000, which will be enough for $2,000 a month during the time in Kearney. Um, And that money is going to be my salary. That's going to be so that I can eat and hang out with these students and invite them into my home if I can get one with that money. Uh, Right now, I'm at about 25% of the support I need, and that is kind of behind considering I'm leaving on Wednesday. Um, So hold on a second. So one of the things we talked about earlier is the church, like Paul was telling the church in Corinth about the church in Macedonia, like we are taking action, right? We're operating on faith that 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 the support, that the people that, that we want to support, the financial support is going to be there. Okay? So this is, so this is a step of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some practical things. So, John, why are you so behind on your giving? Yeah, so first of all, I want to be clear. I'm not going to be living out of my car for the first few weeks that I'm there. Um, CSF is a house I'm going to be staying at, but it is like a dorm setup where I'm going to be living with some of the domestic students. Um, so it's a great opportunity. I'm not going to be living out of my car. Um, So the reason I'm so far behind is because if I'm going to be working with international students, they need to make sure that there are going to be international students on campus. And they did not know for certain, with COVID being the way it was, that there would be international students on campus until around mid-November. So that was when I began the fundraising process. Usually you want to start these things about six months in advance. That just didn't happen, and that is okay. Um, so that is the reason why I got started so late. That's why I'm kind of behind. However, like you said, I'm, I'm trusting God. I'm stepping out in faith and trusting that he is going to take care of me. Uh, so the best way that you all can help me financially is through a monthly donation. Um, I really need money to be able to do this type of thing. And that is something that we all can do together. Uh, that is a way that you can join into this ministry and help support not just me, but the work that God is doing over there. And you'll be out in the lobby. Yeah, I'll be out in the lobby. Um, where the Welcome Center is, I'll be facing you. So as you walk out, you can come and say hi to me. And I'll have all the information you need there if you would like to support me monthly. That would be very helpful. So my last question is two parts. Um, why should Westway support you? And what's in it for us? Like, isn't that our question? Like, whenever we do something... We always ask this question, what's in it for us? So why should Westway support you? And what's in it for someone who's sitting out here and is like, you know what? I want to support John. What's what's in it for us? So chances are uh, these people are never going to come to Westway. They're never going to become members. They're never going to give financially. 
Westway is not going to see a monetary financial return on this investment. So there is zero financial return on our investment to support you. The return on your investment is the people who hear the gospel, the people who will walk into heaven, the message that will be preached because of your donation. And that's what we talked about today. So if you are, if you're feeling led, what I would encourage you to do is talk to John afterwards. Um, look for ways that he can, he can, you can partner with him in both prayer and financial support if, if he'd like to. As I said, our church, our missions team through Faith Promise is already, has already made like a, a financial commitment to support him. Um, and we just, we wanna support our missionaries. I know this is a little awkward because he's my kid, but I get that. I get that this is a little strange, um, but we wanna do this with all of our missionaries. The purpose of, of our missions team the reason we do missions and have a team here at Westway Christian Church is to facilitate a conversation between the missionaries that we support and our church body. So this is, this is valuable for us. This is an important part of who we are as a church and being a sending church, being a committed to the missionaries that we support. So I'm gonna let you talk to him afterwards. If you would like to um, support him financially or learn more about how to pray for him, um, I would love for you to see him in the lobby. So let's, uh, let's, let's close the time. Let's pray together before we um, have some songs and communion and offering. So let's pray. God, we are thankful for your work in our lives. We're thankful for the mission and the ministry that you have called us to. We're thankful for the mission and the ministry that you have called uh, the, our missionaries to. And we just ask God that you would, you would lead people to you through them. And God, I pray that as a church body, we would be generous. That we would not look for what's in it for us, but we would look out for what's in it for your kingdom that we would freely give, that we would joyfully give, not under compulsion, but because you have given us your son, Jesus. Your generosity ought to lead to our generosity. And I ask that we would understand the truth of your generosity so we can understand how generous we are called to be. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.